Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And as always, it is a great blessing to be able to connect with my congregation here at the Father's Church in Dallas, as well as all of our Saints Network family who are gathered in many places around the world. We welcome each of you today. I, uh, I believe that God has made it very clear to all of us that uh, we, are, we are truly uh, on the doorstep of some phenomenal things that are going to be afforded us in our ministry as saints in the days to come. And I also believe that it is going to be so um, amazing that um, we, will, we will be astounded at so many of the things that God does. There will be many fulfillings of prophetic words or the visions and dreams that God has given, or, or, or at least uh, uh, factors of those dreams, because God usually does things in, in a progression. It's developmentally. You know, we're really living in the midst of the dream and the promise right now, um, that's that's the way God moves with his intercessors. He's already begun this, and it's just like the process that we studied regarding the seasons of the Lord with uh, partnering with the hand of God. You know, winter is the beginning, uh, and and we have definitely been dealing with things that are uh, un, so unusual uh, in the history of mankind that um, the winter of this particular season of the Lord has been outrageous in so many ways, but yet God hasn't lost control. He's following the same the same principle that is throughout the word and, and the way the kingdom operates. Um, God is preparing us. And um, I'm very grateful for being able to walk this pathway with so many sons of the Most High, so many joint heirs with Christ, so many wonderful saints who have given everything they are to serve God as intercessors, uh, praying in the Spirit, praying His mysteries, which is what the Bible says happens when you pray in the Spirit, and uh, really being those who are willing to serve Him. Uh, and, and that is their reward. They don't do things so that they get something. That's so much a part of what the church has done over the years. 
we come together for seminars or we read books and we get excited. If we do this and this and this, then we'll get that. And, and you can see that revolving door, at least I can. I've been paying attention for many decades now. We're the latest and greatest thing. It always has to do with how to get what you want, identifying why you didn't get what you wanted, correcting that, applying this new theory, and then God will have to move in the way you want him to. Over and over again, you've seen this same pattern. But to simply serve as the, as the only goal of your life, to serve the Father with no, with, and let that be its, its eternal reward, if, if a reward is what you're looking for. But I, what I mean by an eternal reward in this is that what greater thing could you offer yourself in other than to serve God in whatever he's doing? To serve him. Now, I know what that meant when I was growing up. You're going to serve the Lord. So, uh, you know, let's, let's go and let's go and do this. Let's go pass out tracts. Like, let's go protest. Let's go paint the church. Let's go. And all of those are noble things. And we characterize that as serving the Lord. And I, and I guess to a large degree it is. But to absolutely, altruistically, to just serve the Lord without any other motive than to say, what can I do for you, Father? Um, how, can I, how can I be your intercessor for what you're doing today? That is the greatest thing. Um, you know, the, a classic tale of that in the scripture was the story of Mary and Martha. And, um, you know, Martha was concerned about many things and she had a whole group of guests that had just come to their house and she and her sister and Lazarus were supposed to be, um, tending to those guests Martha seemed to be the one that was in charge of that, and we need people like that in the church. Otherwise, nothing gets done, and things need to get done. Um, and she came out and complained to the Lord because her, so her sister wouldn't do what she thought needed to be done. This isn't the message for today. But Mary was worshiping the Lord, and God said she's chosen the best thing. And it wasn't that Mary should never do any tangible physical work, but, but that principle of serving God in that way was demonstrated. Another story regarding Mary, who broke the, the box of perfume, and uh, the disciples were bent out of shape, many of them, because they deemed it a, a wasted expenditure. And the Lord said, leave her alone. Um, you know, she was serving the Lord and the mission of the Father there. Um, and I think that sometimes we as saints in our intercession, 
with all the other tasks and duties, and we have many of them in ministry, in, uh, in conjunction with what the Father has given us to do around the world, and, and as well as the things that arise in our own families, um, domestic responsibilities. You know, it, it's easy to forget or to diminish what was once the flaming passion of our heart that we must serve the Lord. And there's a, there's a fine line there. You know, in the church, serving the Lord has been equated with religious works. It's just true. It's, it's just true. I grew up in the church. I know it. But somebody who just devotes themselves to seeking God or to simply worshiping him is branded as a nut or some type of a miscreant or an outcast, somebody that is not aware. And of course, today in Christianity, particularly with the progressive emphases, which is going to be looked back on in history as a, a largely a bunch of nonsense, uh, we were told, well, you know, what we've been doing is fine, we need to de de deconstruct that because really all we should be doing is engaging ourselves in civil rights and in social agendas. Do you, do you know how many social agendas and rights issues were blatant in the time of Jesus? Or are you just ignorant to that? But the Lord focused on doing the will of the Father. Yeah, he blessed people. But that wasn't the... His primary goal was to fulfill the will of the Father and to teach his disciples how to do that, how to pray. That's still our message. That's still our meaning. Because a hundred years from now, I don't think there are going to be any protests in heaven. I don't think, I, well, I know there's not. <laughs> there won't be. Uh, there won't be any homeless on the streets in heaven. And so how are you going to fill your time? How are you going to serve the, the, the timeless Father? Um, and so we're preparing for something that God is going to burst upon the scene. He's preparing the world right now, and he's, he's trying to prepare us for it. And um, I said on this past Sunday morning that um, throughout the, the preceding number of days, God was speaking to me very clearly from the book of Malachi. And I shared on Sunday morning about the book of remembrance, which is found in Malachi chapter 3. And um, it, it, it really is a message, if you've not heard it, that you, that you need to listen to. Um, but in verse 16 of Malachi 3, just so... We've read the scripture. 
then they that feared the Lord spoke one to another, and the Lord hearkened, and he heard it. A book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And we, we talked about that um, in, in somewhat of, de, of a detailed way this past Sunday. And we gave an assignment which was, I believe, very clearly from the Heavenly Father that our congregation here and as many of the saints who would be willing to participate with this would go before God um, regularly, day by day, and covenant with him to compile your own personal book of remembrance. And um, we said that here in Dallas on the last Sunday of this month, which I didn't realize till after this had all gone down, that that is Memorial Day weekend. So what a great day to do a book of memorial that will begin our service in some way by conveying things that God has reminded us of regarding our message and regarding our mission before him. And then we'll enter into the service. We'll have a time of communion together and we will um, be prepared to leave the fifth month <laughs> with rejoicing and enter into the month of June uh, dynamically. In fact, I feel that um, you'll hear more of this on this coming Sunday, but next Wednesday night being the 25th of May, I'm going to invite our congregation to come here and to to pray um, just to give thanks to the Lord without any other agenda. What other what better agenda would that be as we look forward to this specific Sunday, which is um, that Memorial Day weekend, the 29th of May. And then we'll also come together again the following Wednesday, the first Wednesday of June, and we will have some type of an assignment in prayer. And in fact, we will begin then uh, a new season of intercessory pursuits where we are uh, each Wednesday, we'll have teams that are scheduled. It'll be open to anyone, but specific teams will take responsibility to, to follow after a directive that the Father gives as true pneumaticos people, people who want to serve God in prophetic intercession, offering supplication, gaining the prosuke understandings. These are biblical terms. And, and I think, I know that the Father has said we need to sharpen ourselves in this way. Uh, we've done various things over the years. I am in no way disparaging or discrediting what we've done. It's been wonderful. But if, if, if you don't 
change from glory to glory and build on the foundation of what you've known, then how are you going to go forward? So um, we'll have more info on that within the next couple of weeks. So you won't be confused. Um, but our assignment for now is to recognize that our Heavenly Father is paying attention and he's listening, which means he wants to commune with you regarding this personal book of remembrance regarding your calling in the Lord. Now, you could just say your entire Christian walk. That's fine. But you can also, as much as we give thanks to the Lord, get bogged down in that and then not truly focus on the agenda that God has called you to right now. Um, what does it mean to write the book? I'm not asking any of you to actually compile a book with many chapters. Um, I, I'm not asking that. In fact, what did it mean back then? You know, they didn't have online publishing back then. They didn't have uh, um, Dunder Mifflin Paper Company that they could go and buy lots of paper. Uh, during Malachi's day, or even the way we traced that word remembrance and we we went back to many different instances in the scripture um like when moses was standing on the mount the amalekites were being battled against in the valley below and god said write this in a book for a memorial how did moses do that you know in fact moses received the 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 ten commandments twice and etched in stone. Um, how was Moses going to write this? What does that mean? You know, you, you think about this and you, you recognize, you know, the earliest writings were probably, to, uh, I wasn't there. I'm just saying probably cave paintings or etching things into a, cuneiform uh, clay tablets or even engraving them into stone with hammer and chisel or some kind of an implement. Um, papyrus was around later, but it didn't really last that long. Um, skins of animals is probably what was used to what that Moses would write this on. Um, he had lots of animals around. He'd left Egypt. He didn't have any papyri. Um, if you did it on stone and if you did it on clay, that's pretty weighty to be toting around through the wilderness. And so he had that. In fact, well, I don't, I'm not debating what you think about the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essene community that, that wrote them, and they were discovered in our day or rediscovered. Um, most of that was animal skin, or in some ways, papyri. And then there was a copper 
a, a copper scroll that was etched into. But, you know, it wasn't, they didn't have laptops, computers, they didn't have typewriters. And, you know, there's a big, there's a big debate about oral tradition and and if you're not really careful with this, you'll find a lot of naysayers that dispute the validity of the Word of God. You know, one of the big things about oral tradition is they'll say that if you look in the book of Genesis, there are really two stories there and they conflict with one another. You, you really got to be careful with this because education, uh, if, it's not, if it's not rooted in purpose, of seeking God and serving Him, it it can become mind-driven, and that will be at enmity with the things of the Spirit. And that's what we see. When I was a kid, we were told, don't go to seminary, and they would call it cemetery. I remember when I came here to Dallas, I was in Bible college, and my, my mentor, who I loved dearly, Brother H.C. Noah, he cautioned me about um, certain seminaries here in town. He said, whatever you do, don't go there because I've seen lives ruined by young men and women who went there and they came out not even believing in God. And at that time, uh, Debbie and I were considering going on to, um, well, it, it, this is off topic, but, you know, you know my testimony, how we graduated from Bible college, and then the Lord didn't allow any doors to open to go out and join a church anywhere, so that was the clue to start working on a master's degree, and, uh, but then when we came here uh, initially, we just went out to uh, TCU, and they were so excited to have somebody from a Pentecostal background. They were basically rolling out the red carpet for going on in a further graduate program. And God didn't say no, but he redirected our path. And um, But, you know, the thing is that if you don't really know what you believe, you're not going to make it. And if, if you can be convinced by people with degrees who will try to sully the Word of God and to um, tear away the, the essential things that you know within yourself are true, you'll be destroyed. You just will be. And so it's imperative for us as individuals and as saints to cherish what God has said. He's not changed his mind. And so we've been given this directive, and I believe it's from the Lord, and I know it's from the Lord. And so every day I, I just let the Spirit of God guide me through different memories of the way God moved, the way what he said, undeniable experiences with him. And I'm just writing them down.
And, and it's astounding to look back over those things. And I've only just been doing it for a couple of days. There's so much. In fact, then my mind takes over and my memory takes over and I just start writing and I stop. Not that what I would be writing would be wrong, but I want the spirit to guide this and it's not done in a day. If you write too many things in one day, you probably won't get the full benefit of it. And so, write this. You can jot it on a jot it in a notebook. I don't want to see anybody's books, and I'm not encouraging you to start publishing your memoirs. This is for you. For only the only agenda is to obey what God has prophetically directed and to let that exchange between you and the Heavenly Father occur and for you to be put in remembrance. You, not everybody else, even though we're going to share these with one another to some degree, but this is for you. And and I think the momentum of where it says um, they, they spoke often one to another, this is just being in fellowship with each other, knowing that we're all doing this together before the Lord, knowing that this is something that's happening and encouraging one another, keep doing it, um, which is why I'm doing this today. You know, I, I had two other wonderful topics that, well, I was ready to, to lay it out there from the Scripture. And the Lord just said, no... This directive I've given, I'm really serious about, and I've extended it. This is what I felt the Father saying through the end of this month. And if if we don't speak often of this, people will forget. They will they won't do it, or they'll start and then they'll stop. So, I I say to you. How's it going with your book of remembrance regarding the saint's mission? Now, for me, I had just a couple of things that God reminded me of in my life before I really entered into public ministry. And one of them was the miracle that happened when I was born and... Um, what God did there to, to actually give me life. I thought of a couple of other things that happened where I would have encounters with God, but I didn't spend a lot of time there. I gave thanks to the Lord for that because to me, I cherish being born again and I cherish the way God led me. But to me, my life really ignited when after many years in public ministry, successful years, um, God revolutionized my life and said, this is why I put you on earth. So that's where I focused. And I, I remember, I, I wrote this down, what God was trying to say to me uh, during the spring and summer of 1996 and the different types of fasting, the different ways that I asked this 
general church congregation in in our uh, elementary understandings to fast. I don't know how many of them did, but it was something that we laid before the Lord. And then God led us to visit a a revival that stemmed out of the assemblies of God. And not all the assemblies of God believed in what was going on at Brownsville. <clears throat> in fact, I've told the story. <clears throat> One of a late a friend of mine who's now gone on to be with the Lord was sent by the general superintendent up to a an entire section of our country to hear the concerns of people in those churches about what God was doing at Brownsville. And that report was then brought back to the district to the general presbyters uh, in in the headquarters area and um, I read about it in the Evangel of all things, and I called my friend who was the author of this, and he said to me, um, as a friend, I'm not even sure that those people I went up to see are even Christians. Now that is interesting to me. That's not being critical, that's not maligning anybody, but it was it's very interesting to see uh, among people who say Jesus is Lord uh, that whether people are willing to actually serve God and I, I believe that's what God really was trying to say to us are you willing to go beyond what you've known in me and really know what I'm expecting of my people, why my, my son was sent, and are you willing to go with me into that? And of course we said yes. It's a hard thing to get people who, who even Christian people, to go beyond where they've been. Yesterday I went to visit a very dear friend of mine uh, I needed a haircut. This guy's Southern Baptist brother. We talk about the things of the Lord. Uh, he he's he knows I'm Pentecostal, uh, but we've ministered together to people there that come into the, this big uh, complex of different salons. But he goes to a very large Baptist church out in uh, the eastern part of the Metroplex. And this church has many different satellite churches. If I said the name, people would know it. And they've got a relatively new pastor there. And my brother said that he and his wife were at church this past Sunday, and the pastor began what he said would be a series about the Holy Spirit. And uh, I don't know what the guy said. He certainly was not going to advocate for speaking in tongues. But he started to speak about the Holy Spirit. And he said, after about five minutes, there were a great number of people across that big auditorium who just got up in almost in concert and left. Imagine that. Now, I'm not faulting. I'm not faulting anybody here. My point is that 
God wants to take his people into a, a deeper measure of fellowship with him. And, um, and I, I know that even many Christians who say they want this, when it comes really down to it, they're not willing to take that step. And there are a lot of reasons for that. It does cost you something when you move forward in the Lord. And um, it's a personal choice as to whether you're willing to pay that price of obedience and, and to trust God uh, with your spiritual walk. So I started writing things down. And I remembered that time of fasting. I remembered when our staff went to Brownsville and there was a message primarily about repentance. But then when hands would be laid on people, they would say, fire. They would welcome the fire of God. And there were a lot of different manifestations. The Spirit of the Lord used that visitation really to touch the world. And I have no idea. You know, I had a conception of what the fire of the Lord meant in Scripture. Um, I didn't certainly have the understanding that we have now from the Scripture. But they prayed, laid hands, said fire. They didn't talk about angels. They sure didn't talk about diversities of tongues. They weren't teaching on laying on your face before God. They weren't teaching on any of that. It was repentance and fire. And um, when we came back to Dallas, we came back uh, and the Spirit of the Lord was mighty among us and there was great rejoicing in those first couple of weeks but we noticed that there was a, a great desire to seek the Lord, just to seek the Lord in prayer. We were praying in diversities of tongues, many different spiritual languages. Our preferred mode of prayer, posturing, was on our face before God. Nobody taught us that. We were certainly not giving that directive from the pulpit, but it just was happening. There were many who were being overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. You know, there were people that were having the very core of their body, almost as if God was just touching that area in the, in the solar plexus and uh, in the in the core of your body, and it was pulsing, and God showed us in the Scripture what all where all of these things were, from proskuneo to diversities of tongues to the maa, that's uh, a Hebrew word for for the bowels, and how that moves uh, in conjunction to the Spirit of the Lord. None of these things were taught to me in my upbringing, or in seminary, or in college. These were are obviously in the word, but it was one of those things where you do and you teach. 
God was leading us. We were immediately finding it in the scripture. We were establishing it. We were learning while we were serving. And that was the point of growth. And then God ignited our seer's giftings, which we should all have. And what I sensed was, now I look back and I recognize that the fire of the Lord always biblically is a demonstration of God's glory, but it also ignites his purpose. It ignites something that he has ordained to do in the cycle of his ways. And so that fire that was being released um, ignited our spirit in a new way. And over the past few years, we've been studying about the connection between um, the spirit that's within us and how that is what prays. Bible clearly says that. Um, and how that if we are spending time breathing the spirit of the Lord, that that illuminates your understanding and it it causes you to to uh, have insights and fellowship with God that is beyond what you would know in the natural and we looked at this through scripture after scripture the unique words that the divine author used and so I believe that that's what God did in those early days. We were sincere, we were willing, and God gave us the rudimentary yet powerful tools that we needed to be using to serve the Father. Do you remember those days? Do you realize that these things, these things that are still off the charts for many who might be hearing this, has it become, um, has it become something that you've forgotten about? You know, it was one thing that, and I'm just going to say this, I have nobody in mind, so don't think I'm preaching at you. But those early days, we, we gave everything we were. And we were willing to put everything on the table. And we did that in order to serve God in this way. You know, we then basically had to surrender the identity of this church. I had to surrender my professional career. Um, and... But then, because we're willing to do that, God opened up the world. And do you remember those days? Some of you got the left foot of fellowship from some very hopping, active churches because the Spirit of the Lord was moving in your life and they didn't know how to control you. And you, you know, I've known some people who are uncontrollable. I'm, as a pastor, I don't advocate that. But there was no, there was no means made available for these people who the Spirit were, was actually using 
there was no accommodation for them. And, um, you know, some of those people that were given the left foot of fellowship out of major churches around here have become stalwart members. And those uncontrollable people are some of the most sincere and humble and willing servants. And I've seen that over the years. And so it all comes down to what has God taught you? What has he led you through? And do you really remember that? For God, it was that amount of time ago. Life changes. When we started, I had two young daughters. They're both serving God now. I'm grateful for that. Now I've got grandchildren. And I know the responsibilities of having grandkids and having family uh, that is extended. I know, I know those responsibilities. Do I still feel that the priority in my life is being an intercessor, being God? Uh, did, did things, did the requirements of God change because we live in a new place or things have uh, morphed in our, in our business life or uh, we've got now other family members, you know, uh, and other responsibilities or is God the same? Did, did, did you get, when God touched you and you thought, it doesn't matter to me that I'm at a church of 2,000 people, I've got to go where God says, now suddenly because it's a hopping place somewhere else, I've got to go there? Really? Who's in charge of your life? Is it God? Does God mean what he said? Even my perspectives, people's perspectives change over the years. Maybe that's part of aging. Maybe that's part of experience. Maybe that's part of enduring lots of different battles and evaluating. I, I had to search myself. And in saying that, I am not saying I'm, oh, my pastor is not strong like he used to be. It's just being real. We ought to all be real before God. And this book of remembrance is sitting down with God. You and you and you sitting before the Lord or laying before the Lord and remembering what has he called you to be. You know, I've talked about this and it's it is it's been many years ago and I I still think of this and and the enemy has used this for negativity and bitterness but going up to Quebec and seeing the license plate that had in French or whatever they speak up there amongst the Quebecois je me souviens I remember I remember taking my family on a vacation up there many, many, many years ago, going to a, a fort on the St. Lawrence River. And there was uh, the, the Canadian military, and they were 
talking about the history of this fort over the many centuries. And the, the major in the Canadian Army that was giving this report, obviously a French-Canadian, he said in his, with his French-Canadian accent in English, do you know, I won't try to imitate him, do you know what je me souviens means? I remember my language. I remember my heritage. I remember my country. Those three things. And he was not talking about Canada. He was talking about the glorious land of France. I remember my language. I remember my heritage. I remember my country. Je me souviens. And, you know, I think every year Quebec votes to secede from Canada. If they could, they would just dynamite the borders and get big um, <laughs> nuclear-powered engines to push the landmass across the Atlantic and just link up with France. If they could do that, they would. I remember there was a lady that came. We ministered alongside her. She was kind of an odd, one of God's odd friends, but she was from Quebec, and her 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 perception of the United States was really unique. But I remember there was a prophet from France who was talking, and he was talking about Quebec, and he said something about how that they were their own. They were they were not part of France. They were their own country, which I think most French people would agree. And it was like you hit this woman in the head with a brick. She started weeping and she said, no, she was saying this in, in uh, broken English and whatever it is that uh, the French, uh, the, 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 that, that her province up there spoke in Canada. She said, we are French. We are from France. You cannot, we are, we, are, we are abandoned children. And she just went on and on and on. I mean, 10, 15 minutes just slobber crying. Forgive that term, but it's descriptive. And this prophet who's well known, I was sitting beside him listening to him pontificate. He was nonplussed by it all because he thought this isn't, he said, this is nonsense. He said, you are what you are. You are where you are. Serve God where you are. And he just spoke into her, but she wasn't listening to it. And I thought, that's interesting. If you go up into Quebec now, you'll hear the similar sentiment. And this is not my message, but the je me souviens is. Do you remember How's your book of remembrance coming along? It's just for you before the Lord. Or do you get tired? I, I love what the book of Micah says. It was, my, it was my sermon in senior chapel, which everybody in Bible college at that school I went to, you, you had to preach in chapel and you were graded on it. My sermon was from the book of Micah, How Have I Wearied You? And of course, my first part of my sermon was 
the fact that this chapel uh, was at 8 o'clock in the morning and uh, that that's an appropriate topic for most students who had to endure that chapel every day. That got a lot of laughter. I think I got graded down for that. But God said, how have I wearied you? And he shows that you walk humbly before the Lord. You serve him. You follow what he's showing you in righteous vision, even though I didn't say that then. Justly was the word. And, and to, to really offer yourself in whatever God commands you to do and to, to not forget that's what our eternal mission really is. But for us as intercessors and as saints, how has God laid this all out? I ask that the Spirit of the Lord, just, just the Spirit of the Lord, I'm not asking you to, I'm not declaring any kind of climactic event in your life or any kind of hazard that God, that, that would manifest. I'm, I'm not asking for any of that. I'm asking for the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, to visit my congregation, including me. I think he's already doing this with me. And shake us and remind us. This is the Father. This is Yahweh. This is the plan of God, that dimension of God that is his eternal plan, who is paying attention to this because he's orchestrated it, and he is listening his spirit is reminding you, which is what the Bible says. He will bring all things to your remembrance. But this is about your walk with the Lord. And when we do that, then, we will be safeguarded. We'll be reinvigorated. It will, it will deprive the enemy of trying to engender bitterness and the things that are listed the stout words, it will remove that application of your strength toward bitter thoughts and even th things you'd think against God. You may not voice them, but if you're thinking them, even if you perfume them, they're still against God. This book of remembrance will galvanize you and you won't be vulnerable to that kind of thing. But it also prepares you. You know, sometimes sport teams, everybody needs to keep their eye on the goal. What is the goal? What are we trying to accomplish? Do you just go off on tangents or are you like a dog that keeps chasing his tail? Um, many Christians who God initially once delivered this message of the saints to, they stuck around as long as it was entertaining, not realizing that it was really a marriage with the Father to enter into heir, to being an heir, to being a joint heir. Um, and as soon as the first couple of attacks came or challenges came, or as soon as the, um, uh, the luster wore off and, you, you know, 
how much how much more you know we god was showing us the right hand of the father temple of the tabernacle of testimony the angelic encounters different things that god would share from his word different ways that he would use his people different encounters uh, different gifts that were being imparted the way we would manifest when we first received them once then god said i want you to start using this i want you to engage in the burden i want you to to be ready to defend your position to stand in the gap a lot of people weren't willing to do that they just like tell me more about angels tell me more about the spirit realm tell me more about how uh the spirit will overwhelm me and and i'll feel something in my body god's still there in that but it's not a sideshow so as soon as that luster wore off that you know there's always some new thing in in uh in christianity and lots of people just like chase that when we have the real we have the best we have the essence and it comes time to use it wow book of remembrance this is where god has us will you let the spirit continue to guide you let him bring about things that that you cherish that you may have forgotten about let him remind you of the words that he spoke and that you said to him and that you experienced in him that set you on a path I was watching an old Western movie called The Big Country. Gregory Peck, Burl Ives, just Charlton Heston. It's a long movie, but there there was one scene where Gregory Peck, who was a a, a captain of, of uh, in the Navy or merchant marines or something like that so he was a sailor and he falls in love with this beautiful blonde girl and he leaves the northeast and he leaves his seafaring ways and he goes into the interior of our country well when he gets there he's in the west you know he's in a different environment and suddenly this girl she starts kind of questioning her love for him. And it's an interesting story. It's got many different stories in it. It's, it's fascinating. But Jean Crane comes to this girl and says something to the effect of, why don't you wake up? Why don't you see what you have? And he says this line, how many times does this man who you say you love have to win you? Wow. 
Now, I think that God is really taking us into a new place. The world is going into a new place in accordance with God's eternal timetable, and we're being prepared and made ready. Has God won you? How many times does he have to win you? How much more can he give to you? How many times more does he have to overwhelm you for you to really be confident in your walk with him as a saint? Boy, I'm preaching now, aren't I? I'm not trying to bring condemnation or guilt. That's not it. This is a book of remembrance, and it's personal. It's between you and God. And it, it does many things. It, it bonds us before the Lord in some new ways, just as God always does. When he brings new revelation, he firmly establishes it on the foundation of what he's taught us from his word. The new things you're going to share in God are going to be firmly established on what God has said to you, what's been, what's been uh, affirmed by his word, and what, what, he, is, what he has done uh, in and through you to bring you to this point. And so... In typical divine fashion, that has to be reaffirmed and established before anything new can be built on it. So the Father is doing this. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And it's the privilege of sons. You don't have to have somebody standing before you while you have tears streaming on your face reminding you things that you should know. How can you trust anyone like that with the power and the responsibility that God is going to be entrusting to his saints in the days to come? I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm just saying, look, we're all in this. This is what God is doing. So let's participate in it. This book of remembrance. It, you know, I'm old school. Some of you are going to do this electronically. That's fine. But I got this big pad of paper. It's big. Sandra Carter gave it to me many years ago. And it's got 24 up on the top of it. And it originally was this big pad, and then it was a smaller pad, then there was a, a tiny little note pad. And it represented hours and, and days and minutes. And, but I've got this big pad, and I'm writing out things on it with the pen. I'm investing into that, and I can look at it every day. I've got it here. I wrote a whole bunch of things on it just a few minutes ago. Things that I hadn't forgotten, but when you look at them all together, you say, Wow, look what the Lord has done. 
You each have your own book of remembrance. Share it with your Heavenly Father. Now again, it doesn't matter if anybody else sees it. You're not doing this so you can enter the Pneumatikos publishing community. You're not doing this so that you can send it to me and have me read it. See what a wonderful person you are. This is between you and the Lord and how we share is is going to be directed by the Spirit in the weeks to come. But now your job is to spend this time before the Lord. Write this book of remembrance. God is paying attention. He's orchestrated this. He's listening. Are you listening? I know that we are. Though maybe I was today as your pastor, maybe I was a little bit stringent. Maybe I'm exhorting with a little more vigor. I'm not asking you to do anything you can't do. I'm not asking you to do anything that you uh, that would would harm you, or would uh, overly tax you. But this is something that is necessary, and it then leads the way into the things that God says to Malachi through Malachi, God's messenger, into this fourth chapter. That's our message for today. I look forward to continuing to walk this path with the Father, and I'm praying for you that you will do this and enjoy Him. These are wonderful days. God's preparing you for something and what you have experienced in God, what you've given to God is not forgotten. So, may God bless you and um, until the next time we're together, keep on writing and keep on enjoying the Heavenly Father who loves you. God bless and goodbye.